My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to live alone before I knew you. That's not actually true. And this is Burn Noticed, a podcast of lies once again, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone even remotely related to Burn Notice, the television show on the USA Network, please get in touch. You can send us connections, questions, suggestions, compliments, and as always, absolutely no criticism of any kind to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, that is burnnoticed with a D. Because our so podcast. You, you guys didn't hear this prior to uh, our recording, but Christine has a conflict. And so she is going to endeavor to record the next two episodes of this podcast as quickly as possible so she can go record another podcast. Uh, listeners and- at home, I want you to take bets on how long this episode is going to be. And next week's episode. That I think will be a fun game for everyone. I think it will too. I mean, we have, I will, I will give us credit that like there have been a handful of episodes uh, this season and late last season that were only about an hour, which is frankly unheard of. I I will say peek behind the screen for our listeners. Most of our recording sessions are about an hour and 45 minutes. uh, And I cut them down to about an hour 20 at longest uh, when I can. Um, But yeah, so Let's let's see how efficiently we can get through this. Are we going to be so efficient, Christine, that we do not do some chatter at the top? Because it's been a couple of weeks since you and I talked. I don't. What are you up to? Have you done anything? Um, I've been watching the unit, uh, which is just like straight up U.S. military propaganda. Delightful. You love that. There's one thing I know that Brie loves. It's straight up U.S. military propaganda. I mean, you could shorten it to just saying I love the U.S. military. I think that we should frankly give them more money. I think we should have fewer people alive and more money for the U.S. military. Hashtag support our troops. And you know what? I respect that about you. (laughs) What's great about us is that, like, we're friends, even though, like, we disagree, you know? Yeah, you know, I'm a hardcore like, like, Republican, as has been uh, well documented in this exactly. podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I, I like, like, I'm a pussyfooting liberal. Yeah, and you're a like, cultural Marxist, whatever that uh-huh. means, but I hate it. Yeah, and like, we can still be friends, because, like, because, in a because real Because the one thing that we have way, in common, more than anything else, is that we're white. Exactly. <laughs> I was, you know, I was the whole time I was, like, debating- I was debating in my head whether or not that was the joke I was going to do. I know. Well, I, but one of the joke, my other joke was going to be American because we're talking about the U.S. military, and I was like, no, I think white is a more you know divisive comment, but also probably more true in most of the cases where people I mean, it's definitely ideologically, it's definitely more true. But, but the point is that Bree said it. <laughs> I did. I did say it. Hashtag. White I did power. not Hashtag endorse support it. Our troops. <laughs> I didn't endorse it as a funny joke because I don't think that it's funny to laugh and make jokes about uh, racism and oppression. Oh, I, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna continue it and say I don't think it's funny to make jokes about white people because cancel no, culture's gone to too far. <laughs> this, uh, this is season five, episode seven. It's called Besieged. It Besieged. aired August fourth, two thousand eleven, and was written by Craig O'Neill and directed by Steven Sergic. So pretty, pretty standard burn notice crew once again we're in safe hands in the sense that like we're in safe familiar hands and you know i didn't even think about the fact that we were making jokes about the u.s military uh oh yeah i I totally forgot what episode we were talking about uh and if you're curious here's the imdb description the gang takes on a militia group so that michael can return a boy to his mother while also trying to get answers out of the man hired as michael's imposter I'm ready to get right into it, you know, because I'm in a hurry. So let's get right into the weeds. Great. The weeds we are in. So we have a fairly short cold open this week. Like it was over before I even noticed it. Uh, All that happens is that using a like really strange looking like fast forward 
system, uh, Fee and Sam spy on Jacob, the guy who's been impersonating Michael, at least in, you know, visuals, if not in, like, doing actual stuff. Um, and it's, like, this weird, like, fast-forward trick where we just watch them be bored in the car because apparently Burn Notice doesn't think that we've picked up on the fact that they think spy work is usually boring. Yeah, no, it's it's a new theme that they're trying out this episode. Yeah, exactly. It's totally new. We've never heard it before. Definitely wasn't the first spy tip in all of Burn Notice. Um, and so after a board two days, Sam and Fee notice that there are some gangbangers who look like they're going to try to go shoot Jacob. And they're like, I will well, say, shit. before we get into this. Okay. And I know, and I said Take your really bets, quickly people. that I'm in a hurry. Take your bets. <laughs> uh, while they're watching him, they're like, debating about whether or not like he's like a smart guy or like if he's like a mastermind or if he's like not a mastermind and they've agreed that he's not a mastermind and like what and the reason that sam thinks that he's not a mastermind is because he is has all these pamphlets that he's reading about raising alpacas for for profit and (laughs) three have i talked on this podcast before about the mid-2000s alpaca bubble the mid two thousands alpaca bubble. You have not. There's an alpaca farm uh, around the corner from us. Oh my god, Bree! I feel like I am the only millennial that remembers alpaca commercials. Yeah, I definitely don't. But I didn't watch a lot of TV when I was younger, so like most commercials that people like consider classics, I just straight up didn't see. So yeah, no. But like this is a thing where I'll be like at parties or with friends, and I'll be like, hey. Remember the alpaca commercials? And then people Chris will be like, really good at parties. Yeah, exactly. And people will be like, <laughs> no, what alpaca commercials? And like for a while, I legitimately thought I was going crazy until I like, like Googled them and like I found like commercials online. There were, there was this whole movement to like get people to buy alpacas. Alpaca, and, like the animal or alpaca goods and services? No. The animal. No, this is the thing. So, like, there was this huge alpaca bubble in, like, the mid-2000s where, like, everyone kind of assumed that alpaca, like, wool would make money. And so they just started buying them. Like, because that that's the only thing you can get out, out of alpacas is, like, wool. I mean, I will say just briefly, if you are considering alpaca purchasing anyone out there, um, my mom has some alpaca like kitchen mats, and they are so absorbent that you can completely fuck up a giant batch of blue margaritas, disappear for two hours, and when you come back, so has the margarita mix because the alpaca um, uh, rugs totally soaked it up. And then even when you pick them up, they're not soggy or anything. You just like throw them in the wash and they're great. So if you need like super absorbent kitchen towels uh, or kitchen like mats, um, alpaca wool mats are excellent for that. So yeah, buy some alpaca alpaca wool mats and don't buy alpacas because that's what (laughs) everyone did in the mid 2000s. Everyone bought alpacas thinking we'll raise alpacas and then, like, we'll make all the money off the wool, except there was literally no infrastructure in the United States for processing large amounts of alpaca wool. And so everyone thought, well, once it catches on, they will make the infrastructure, because obviously alpaca wool is great. And so there were all these, like, ads from the alpaca industry, like, saying, buy alpacas, and everyone was selling out. And so the thing that actually made money was not selling wool because you couldn't. The thing that actually made money was selling alpacas as breeding stock. And so it kind of just became a pyramid scheme. And so like, that's why there were all these ads. Like there were people who already owned alpacas were trying to convince other people to buy alpacas. It was like, there was this idea that like once there was a critical mass, then like surely it would make money. In like 2005, a single alpaca was going for $25,000 on average. That's wild. Yeah, I, I I must have missed that entirely, both because I didn't watch TV as a kid as much, but also because people just have alpacas here. I don't think that there was any pyramid scheminess that I just live in the country. <laughs> yeah, and it was this, but there was another thing too, was if you have a small farm, there's tax incentives. So mm-hmm. it became a thing where like the idea, like if someone would say like, oh, they have like a small like California alpaca farm, that really just meant that they had a tax shelter. So, like, there's all these tax incentives and, like, an industry ex- telling people and advertising buy alpacas, they're friendly, they're, like, like the wool is great. And then, meanwhile, there was no way to make money off them. 
And like eventually everyone realized, oh no, this doesn't work. And then like you couldn't give them away. Alpacas that sold for like a hundred thousand dollars like a few years earlier suddenly were selling for like a hundred or weren't. Like the sad fact is that like a lot of people had to euthanize their help alpacas. Wow, that went to a dark place. I was not expecting that. It was sad, but like people could not afford. The thing was that like it costs more money to like maintain the alpacas than the money that you could have made maybe off of selling the raw fur. (laughs) And like because like people were selling them for all these crazy prices. Whereas in Peru, the only place where there is like an alpaca industry, alpacas are cheap. You couldn't import alpaca alpacas from Peru, which is why there was such a big bubble and growing them domestically but you could still import the wool so it was like Hmm. well there was no reason for it it was just like the tulip bubble like the tulip yeah the tulip craze and a lot of people lost a lot of money to alpacas well jacob is going clearly going down a a a dark and woolly road anyway and and that's how we know he's not a mastermind he's just someone's lackey anyway i'm trying to get out of this episode fast (laughs) yeah anyway so can we move it along brie like can you stop interrupting and just like get through the recap as we know i'm the problem here um so yeah (laughs) anyways so they've been spying on jacob through fast forwarding they have some comments about the alpaca brochures uh, but then they realize that some gangbangers have pulled up nearby and look like they're gonna go take him out and so they're like well shit we can't just wait for him to do something that we can watch we have to rescue the idiot so that he's alive for us to interrogate so um uh, Sam like pretends to be him and drives away and Fiona gets Jacob and Mr. Pickles his tiny dog uh, and gets them out of there so I they love escape. Mr. Pickles Mr. Pickles has never done anything wrong in his entire life <laughs> Mr. Pickles is great Mr. Pickles is a very fun bit that I wish they'd gone into more but they, yeah they don't they do anything with Mr. Pickles but I love that he's there yeah I do too I love that Mr. Pickles is there we should all be so lucky to have a Mr. Pickles nearby and not really doing anything um but then that's the end of the cold open they rescue jacob and mr pickles from certain death and that's it cold open uh very very short i was like surprised when it happened so post cold open michael comes back to the loft uh, a little bit cranky because he just had a long meeting with the caa lady whose name is agent pierce but whose name i couldn't be bothered to write down in my recap and fee kind of fills him in on what happened with jacob and michael's kind of grumpy about like the fact that jacob is here and that like (laughs) now they have the man impersonating michael at michael's place while he's still trying to fend off the cia and they have confirmed that jacob is definitely not a mastermind of alpaca pyramid schemes or otherwise and has basically just taken like a task rabbit job from the internet where a mysterious guy will send him cash and then call him the next day to tell him about the job and then but, like, he'll go and do the task rabbit so like someone just emailed him yeah he exactly. just answered an email which i love like it is funny that like part of the thing that makes him dumb is like some random person emailed you to do jobs and like you do them but he basically just invented the gig economy. Yep, that's exactly what happened. So Jacob basically knows nothing. All he has Jacob's is- rich now. Jacob <laughs> invented Uber. Ja- yeah, Jacob is uh, Elon Musk, actually. Yeah. Uh, I I'm can't looking wait forward to-, to Jacob on SNL. I was just—I was going to make a joke about him building a celebrity death tube. <laughs> well, the celebrity death tube really makes me happy. Elon Musk is going to be on SNL. That's terrible. I hate it. <laughs> I am. Oh, I am very aware that Elon Musk is on SNL. We're on Twitter. We're on Twitter. God rest our souls. <laughs> Follow us if you don't. Yeah, burn noticed pod. That's where it's at. I basically only tweet when there's a new episode or when somebody has a question for us, which is pretty much never. So uh, Jacob knows basically nothing. All he has like that could possibly lead them back to his mysterious like tasker, tasky. What what are task rabbit assigners called? Clients? I don't know. Task hutches? (laughs) Bunny boys? Task daddies? Ooh, task daddies. That's right. You got there. You got there eventually. Okay, so they don't know much about the task daddy. All they know is that he has like a burner phone, essentially, which is what was sent to him to like get the assignments. But unfortunately, uh, the phone is back at his apartment which they had recently vacated because gangbangers took it over. So um, Fee is going to have to go take care of this because Michael and Sam have another meeting at Carlitos, apparently. Uh, So once again, we get a client through Sam's lady friend. And uh, according to Sam, she will do anything if he'll help her out. 
Do you know what that means, Michael? And Michael's like, please stop this. (laughs) Once again, Michael Weston does not want to hear about Sam's escapades. I do know. What do you think anything is? Yeah, I think it's pegging. I mean, yes, it's absolutely pegging. Yeah. But it has to be like pegging plus because Sam is excited that like potentially they are going further than ever before. Uh Uh-huh. So, um... Sam's getting a ball gag. (laughs) Ball gag and pegging. So, basically, the plot of this episode is Lucy Lawless, except if Lucy Lawless wasn't the bad guy and the dad who kidnapped his own kid was into the militia. Because that's what the plot is. The two divorced parents had a custody arrangement where the dad was supposed to drop the kid off with his mom again over the weekend. He failed to do so. And now she needs somebody to go get the kid back. And they're like, all right, we'll go do that. It sounds like an easy talk. And as you know, in Burn Notice, much mo- many things are just easy talks with unreasonable men. Uh, so yeah. this should be... This should be easy. To be fair, and Michael is rightly skeptical. <laughs> yes. Michael has well, seen Burn skeptical. Notice. you could even say he's mr burn notice the other thing that we learn in this scene is that like the reason that they had marital problems is that the husband's brother died and the brother was an army ranger and so like he seems to have had a little bit of a mental break related to the u.s military and distrust of them so he's gone a little off the deep end but so far we don't know how far into the deep end he's gone um but we're about to find out because sam and michael go to john's house but it looks kind of fortified more fortified than a quick chat can solve so sam goes around back and michael decides to you know go up and just tell him the truth hi i'm michael your wife hired me to come get your son back please let me see your son and take him back to his mother while sam plants a track on the guy's car and like pokes around in the backyard for some reason. John, the husband, his name is John. He lets Michael in, but like immediately puts him uh, at the other end of a shotgun. And um, we get even more details about how anti-government he is. And he doesn't like that a government weasel judge dictated a custody agreement that he was unhappy with. And then Sam trips an alarm in the backyard because he like opens a shed or something and an alarm goes off. And so John gets really upset. He calls his kid to get like all their stuff his kid comes out with like two duffel bags and they leave and luckily sam before bungling this has gotten a tracker on the car so they're fine they'll be able to follow the the, them to the wherever they go next they pour over some of john's stuff at madeline's house because anytime there's like a missing kid and a, a grieving mother instead of going to the friend of this grieving mother sam's lady who we i don't think have met yet we go to madeline's house because (laughs) <laughs> she, we have a contractual obligation to check in with her at least once an episode. So at Madeline's house, they like see, they find pictures of like a training facility, which is where John has taken their kid Tommy to. Uh, and it's basically like a far right militia who hates the U.S. government and hates the U.S. Army. And these are um, like the kind of people who were at the Capitol. Exactly. So like pre-Capitol rioters, when they were just sort of like camping together, this is their place. Yeah. so then here we learn that tommy the child is an asthmatic um and is potentially running out of medication and so the mom is like extra worried not just that her son is like camped out with some far-right militiamen but also because his asthma inhaler is about to run out so michael agrees to go like give over the medication and they're hoping that that either gives them an opening to get the kid back or at the very least to learn a little bit more about the situation so michael and sam go to check out the militia and it is locked down tight by a guy named Zechariah, and it's a Z-E, <laughs> Zechariah, which was Zachariah. very confusing. I wonder, he's the, he's called the uh, ENIC, or the extremist nutbag in charge. He's also being investigated. By Sam, not C4 like... <laughs> from the he's not, not internally. No, 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 no. The government doesn't call him this. Sam calls him this. And like his men don't call him that either. <laughs> yeah, they probably just call him... Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah. So in addition to just like being a nutbag and in charge, he has, he either like previously worked for the government or previously had access enough to government facilities to have stolen both C4 from the Forest Service, but also we learned later on some like satellite or call hacking technology of some kind. I think he just stole it because he's not involved with the government. I wasn't sure if he was, was like, like, he started in and then became outside yeah. or whatever. Well, he's whatever, not, definitely not military, as we learn later. Yeah, he definitely, he's never served, and it's a whole big thing about false flags and whatnot. Yeah, and stealing valor and what have you. And Oh, yeah, stealing valor, that's what it's called. 
Yeah, and I will say, like, Zechariah is, like, the unfunny version of a character that Danny McBride would play in something. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that, I, I see that, that tracks. So, that's like, the vibe. <laughs> they've basically decided, like, all right, well, we're not going to be able to just, like, break into this place, and we need to be really careful because they are heavily armed and heavily fortified, and we don't want, like, the kid to die. Obviously, the ideal situation would be the kid lives, which is our whole job. Michael calls John and is like, hey, your kid needs medication, but I can only give it to you if I see him myself and make sure he's fine. And John is like, all right, cool. Well, it'll take me a few hours to get that approved. And I was like, a few hours? For your kid to get his asthma medication? Good God. He's got to do all this paperwork. The militia is really heavy on paperwork. Can I say really quickly? Hate the government, love bureaucracy. I love this premise. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, no, I think it's like, I don't know. There's like, it's one of those things that like, again, feels weirdly more relevant after Trump than it did then. It's And it's also sort of telling that like, you like during this time period, which like I knew, I knew there were people like this in like 2011. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew this was a thing, but, like, it feels like a sort of, like, warning shot for the things that were going to happen in the second half of this decade. Like, yeah, it sort of feels like these are the kind of people that, like, nowadays, like, QAnon will funnel into. And it's nice to sort of, it's nice to explore that and, like, have that, and also, like, kind of explore the, like, fundamental patheticness of it, while also exploring the dangerousness of it. Totally. I like that. Yeah, I I do think that it's a it's an interesting premise. I I don't care for the episode as a whole that much. I would have loved to see Michael Horowitz's take on it, but I do. Yeah, I think that the setting is interesting and like playing off of extremists nonsense and and that kind of stuff is is definitely an interesting thing for Burn Notice to explore. So their plan for like what they're going to do to get around this fortification is that while Michael is drawing everyone's attention to the front gate to hand off the medication and, you know, kill time or whatever, Sam is going to go fuck with their fuel tank. Ideally could use 20 minutes, but he'll only have 10. And so they sync their watches. But then we don't go to that scene yet because it's Jesse and Fee's turn. Jesse, who basically doesn't acknowledge that he has a job. He's just like, well, they were just like, shit, we need someone to go with Fee. All right, I guess Jesse's doing it. So Jesse and Fee go to retrieve the phone from Jacobs. There is a weird exchange about who should go in relating to Fee being like, what, you think that because I'm a woman, I can't X, Y, Z? And then Jesse like makes a comment and then he goes inside. I don't know. It's a very strange, small scene. Jesse it's basically weird, has to- It's this trope <laughs> that I hate wherein like a woman says, hey, I feel like you're treating me differently because I'm a, I'm a woman. And then like the guy says, no, it's not because you're a woman. It's because of this different valid thing. And I think the writers genuinely think that they're like modeling like feminism, but like they're, it's literally a case of like a woman speaking about something and then a man shutting her down. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, it happens but, but not all because the time. she's a woman because of other things that are totally and it, like it makes her look like she's like irrationally upset about feminism and she needs to calm down a do not like this whenever it happens agreed so yeah so basically this scene amounts to jesse sneaking quietly around uh, jacob's house because all the gangbangers are in there but asleep and then there is a big gangbanger in the bedroom and jesse doesn't wake him up but is alarmed to see him there because i guess fee gave him the wrong count of guys and he gets the phone call and then he makes a fat phobic joke in the car and then that scene's over so we go back to sam and michael <laughs> michael and sam enact their uh, initial plan so we know that something's going to go wrong but my Michael is drawing attention so Sam can sneak to like, I guess he's using, the plan is to use liquid nitrogen to mess with like the piping or something that can connect their fuel or whatever. So it'll empty the fuel. And Michael tries to convince them to let him examine Tommy with an oximeter to make sure that he's healthy in addition to handing over the medication. And at this point, so I was watching this with my mom. She was like doing work emails. I was obviously watching this for for recapping purposes. And it's been like 10 years since my mom has watched Burn Notice. So in the first scene with Fee and Sam, my mom was like, oh, it's like, it's like seeing old friends. I feel like I'm going back to high school. Like all, all my old friends are here. And then in this scene, my mom was like, wait, Michael's trying to use an oximeter to like 
make himself seem impressive. That's dumb. Those things cost like 20 bucks at a pharmacy. They don't tell you basically anything. And I was like, oh, thanks, mom. So thankfully, there's no spy tip because it would have immediately been disproven because apparently an oximeter is pretty basic shit and probably wouldn't tell them anything interesting. I mean, like, yeah, it probably wouldn't tell them anything interesting. But, like, I don't think that the point of the scene is that, like, oximeters are hard to come by. I think her point was, like, I wouldn't have been convinced by that. I would have been, like... That's fair. I, I can but go also, buy these men are incredibly and- dumb. Yes. Later, totally. later, Michael convinces a guy that if someone has asthma, you have to put trash bags on the windows. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, like, we'll get to that. So these are dumb men. Yeah, these are these are not smart men. But basically, that doesn't work. But Michael wastes enough time for Sam to successfully fuck up their pipes. Then Michael insults Zachariah a bunch. Zachariah preaches to him and then hits him with his gun. And everything's fine, though, because Sam gets away clean. And so does Michael, who can take a pretty good beating. Back at Madeline's, Jesse, for some reason, debriefs a worried Denise. Denise is the, the client of the week. Um, I don't think she's met Jesse at this point, but he's the one giving her the information for some reason. He assures her that Tommy has his medicine, but um, unfortunately is still at the compound and they need Denise's phone so that they can get through to John because John is no longer answering Michael's call. So they're hoping that he will answer Denise's. This also seems like a fairly perfunctory scene. It's like, we definitely didn't need this. You could have done this elsewhere. Also, like, Michael having Denise's phone doesn't really lead to anything other than the phone call goes through. (laughs) So like... It just yeah. it seems like they're filling time because like it does while there was bit, a yeah. lot to explore in this episode, there wasn't a lot that happened. Like it's a fairly short recap that I've written because it's all just like Yeah. I, I, no, totally. I don't know. It, it felt very paint by numbers, but like in the least creative way possible. I don't know. Like this is if if somebody had turned in this script to me in one of my classes, I would have been like, this is an unnecessary scene. I don't understand why these characters are together. Rewrite it by either like making a more interesting scene or having more interesting things come from the things we learn in it. But neither of those things happen. Spoiler alert. So now we go back to the CIA plot briefly. Fee is at the loft trying to get Michael or trying to get Jacob the fake Michael, to call his boss, having written him a script. John is very skittish and a little gay-coded, especially with the tiny dog. And he's also a terrible actor when he reads Fiona's script. Like, hello, buddy. Um, I am afraid. Can you save me? I adore John. <laughs> or not John. What? What's his name? Jacob. Jacob. John's the other guy. John's the other square-jawed white man. Yeah, it's uh, confusing that the, the the two like main characters in this episode who aren't our normal guys both have J names. Seems I will like say also, honestly, I feel like Jacob looks more like John than he looks like Michael. He does not look that much like Michael. Yeah, it, it's more like face shape, but he definitely has more hair than him. He's much younger. And like they have That's like a much larger head. Shapes. Yeah, but it's like a similar face shape. But yeah, I it's, suppose it's, a, it's he like, doesn't, I don't know. I guess if you know if back in the I would never confuse security these two feeds. Men. Yeah, but he it's it's exclu- it's for security feed purposes, right? So like he just needs to look enough like yeah. him with a hood on, you know. I mean, it's valid, but still. So anyway, yeah, I think they have similar Jacob's kind of a dummy, but the boss immediately texts him back to say he'll be in touch. Sophie's like, great, I'm going to go help the boys like you stay here. I assume that that means that Jacob's going to make a bad, like a big mistake and like do something dumb because Fee's just leaving him alone in Michael's house or at least leading us to a scene where like the dog has destroyed their house and some of Fee's new like apartment fixins. But no, none of those things happen. Jacob's fine. He just hangs out. Yeah, like, out. I'm telling you, like, nothing happens in this episode. Like, nothing does happen. Everyone I will is say, so well behaved. <laughs> I will I will say, like, I think this is one of those situations where, like, if you're the one writing the notes, like, if you're the one recapping, you have to, like, focus on it more and see all the flaws more. Because I could, I was just watching this one, and I was just, like, breezing through it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is fine. I'm, I'm entertained by this. But, like, breezing this. through it is important because, like, there's nothing that interesting happening in any scene. No, there's, like, there's no, There's no scene where something interesting happens. It's just like, all right, yeah, that's going to get us to the next scene. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. Again, I think I thought, like, I thought the premise was kind of interesting. Yeah, but like, they don't do anything with it. There's no insightful commentary about, like, militias and I mean, anti-government yeah, it's stuff. Just, it's mostly just, like, yeah, militias are actually quite dumb. Yeah, but that's, I, I mean, like, everyone like, knows that. 
I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, or there's, like, this, I don't know, there's, like, I think the thing that I liked about this one was that, like, of all of the episodes that we have, like, I feel like in this season, we've had a lot of episodes about masculinity in a, that are bad. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the way that this episode is about masculinity, where it's more just, like, it kind of just, like, shows you a bunch of versions of masculinity that, like, varying degrees of safe and healthy without a super amount of judgment of them other than like showing you the results of them. And I kind of like that. Like, I think if this is going to be a show about masculinity and it is, it felt like it was doing a better job of it than like some other episodes this season. That's fair. I mean, Alfredo Barrios Jr. isn't writing it. So like automatically it's going to be a lot safer masculinity. I think that was part of it. I think like part of the thing is that this premise inherently feels like an alfredo barrios jr premise and so i'm just happy that it's not him doing it like the thing is that like if alfredo barrios jr wrote this episode the family would get back together i was thinking that actually i would like i had that thought at the very end especially because throughout the episode she keeps referring to him as her husband and not her ex yeah like they use like my husband, my wife terminology, even though like they're talking about a justice, uh, a judge's custodial agreement, I- implying that they are separated yeah. enough to need a judge's intervention to tell them when they can see their kid. So like I was waiting for that to happen and like him realizing that like, oh, I went off the deep end. I'm so sorry, but I know I believe in something again. I believe in this family. Like that, that would be the kind of shit that would happen. There would also be yeah. some kind of impassioned pro-military speech at some point, whether it's from like an indignant Sam or like a fed up Michael. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that that's not there. And I think that's the thing that I rec- I agree with you. There's not a lot here, but I'm happy with the things that aren't here. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. And like, I think my frustration with this episode is that it's just like, it's so blah, but it has, every scene has potential to be slightly more interesting than it is. No, that's totally and a little fair, bit more though. detailed. And it, doesn't do that. And so it's it's not even that like it's a failing of the type of show we're doing. The you could do the exact plot of this episode with many of the same scenes but far like more interesting interpretations of it. And I don't think that that's beyond the burn notice writers at this point. Oh, I don't no, even think totally it's beyond not. Craig O'Neill. No, yeah, it's I was, not. I, this this is this feels it does like feel a like there's a lot episode. of like there's like a yeah, there's like a scaffolding here but there's not a lot of meat on it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The skeleton's fine, but like yeah. the the meat's all weird and drippy. Get that not, out of your head. I mixed my metaphor. <laughs> like, and you have to mix your metaphor too. It is a scaffolding with meat on it. It's a meat scaffolding. That seems totally normal to me. So Fee leaves, and the thing that Fee has left to go do is that she is going to sneak into the compound with the gas truck because, like, they have to obviously get their um their their gas fuel line um they they got to get their fuel fixed, and so that the whole reason that they fucked with the fuel is because they want somebody to go in, and so Fee is going to like clip herself under the car to sneak in and like wait until night and then go rescue the kid, but they need to know which of the little like houses on the compound the kid is in because. For whatever reason, despite the fact that like they've been there all day, they haven't seen the kid come in and out of a particular building yet. Um, and it doesn't it's not like a walled off facility. It's like chain link fence. So it's not like it's invisible or whatever. But regardless, Michael uses the wife's phone to call John and tells him that in order to keep his kids safe, he needs to have garbage bags on the windows and like some kind of filtration system. And that will be what like tells Fee which house to go to to like rescue the kid from. Um, Unfortunately, as Fee has like clipped herself into the van and is like, you know, smooth sailing all of the military men like come out to meet the gas truck and sam and jesse and michael are like oh shit they know you're there like unclip fee we get out of there like for some reason they know you're there so they cover her with with some gunshots and an explosion and fee gets away but now they're like well how the fuck did they know we were coming like the we we know she got into the gas place clean we know they couldn't have seen her so like how could they have known and then like they looked into the compound which again they can see into fine so like i don't know why they needed the trash bag thing but whatever and they they look at some of the satellites or whatever and they're like those are too low they must be like picking up on our cell signals because of a phone call or something 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 they're basically they can hear our phone calls so uh they decide to use this to their advantage 
and do a fake phone call. It's so funny, too, because this plan requires these guys to be very dumb. Because, like, I feel like normally in an episode of Burn Notice, like, if this was the other way around, and, like, Michael and co. were listening in on phone calls, and someone did this thing, you would immediately go, okay, well, now we played our hand, they now know that their phones are compromised. Like, the fact that, like, the, like, military guys, like, did this thing kind of proves that their phones are compromised because how else did they figure it out? Like the military guys are not going to, are not assuming that Michael and co are going to have the conversation that they have where they figure it out, even though it's like not that hard to figure out. So it just requires them to once again, be very dumb. Well, we're near the end of the episode because we've wasted, we've farted around for half the episode. So like we have so little time to resolve it because there was a bad use of time previously. But so we know that this is going to work just because like, oh, fuck, we have 10 minutes left and we still need to resolve the Jacob plot. So, um, okay, I guess this is totally going to work. So yeah, basically the, <laughs> the fake phone call is that they're pretending like they're a bigger army than they are and that they're going to hole up somewhere nearby so that they can draw the military out and then they can go in behind them and rescue the kid because they have they they reasonably assume they're not going to take a kid with them to a big firefight. So that happens. It works perfectly. Unfortunately, John stayed behind with his son. No shit. Is he going to leave his kid in this camp alone? Yeah. And now they're on borrowed time and John is bruised and his leg is broken because I guess he like he insisted he was going to stay with his kid because his kid had like an asthma attack and then like fainted and john's like all right well i'm clearly going to stay behind and zachariah got mad that he was like questioning his judgment and beat the shit out of him so john can't leave fast except he totally can they have like a 10 minute conversation in the tent where john is already convinced that his kid needs to get out of there and then he's like i'll stay behind and cover you and i was like from what no yeah no it's so weird this episode's so weird actually you're right can I say it really quickly? Here's the thing that's weird about this, too, is that, like, they all leave, right? He flips John, and they just hang around and talk. They spend all of this time, like, talking and doing man stuff. And then, yeah, that, John is like, fine, I'll cover you, and then I'll get out. And then we see none of that. Yeah, but then he's fine. Like, I assumed that he was going to, like, valiantly, like... I did too. You know, get killed, but like at least he made the right decision by his son and decided that like there's something worth believing in again. But no, he's fine. He's fucking fine. He left. He's and like he's fine, and we don't even see him be fine. Like, and what happened to Zachariah? Is he still out there with all of his guys? Like, yeah, they didn't take them down at all. Well, no, they did. That's like happens off screen, but like they do mention that they the cop they finally sent the cops in and the cops got them. But like, yeah, and my other beef was that like I feel like on a better episode of Burn Notice. Like, like the gang would have rigged it so that like all the guns, because like the thing that they're distracting like Zachariah and crew with is like this shed. Like they they've set up a shed that's supposed to be where like they're like dug in, and they've just like take literally taken guns and are just pointing guns out the window so like they can so like the army guys will come and see the guns and be like, oh, there's dudes in there. We gotta shoot the shit out of them. And then, like, these dudes, like, yell, like, hey, we've got you surrounded, and then, like, shoot at them, and there's no response, and they just kind of stand there. It seems like it would not have been that hard to rig the guns to fire back. Right. We've seen them do it before. They use a fucking uh, fan, like a rotating fan. Exactly. It seems like it would have been so easy to rig the guns to fire back, which would give them more time. I don't know why that didn't happen. They fully didn't need the extra time. Like, they were just, like, standing around for 10 minutes. Like, they could have had that conversation while walking. Like, because from minute one, he's like, yeah, you can take my kid out of here. Clearly, this is a bad environment for him. I fucked up. Um, But then they have to have a 10-minute conversation about, like, believing in things. And the army is good, actually. And then he's like, all right, well, you leave. There's no one here yet, but I'll stay behind to cover you because I can't walk very far and it's like like, boy i sure wish we had three other people like outside who could totally help you yeah it's just it is weird anyways so we're almost over this this there's almost nothing happens with the rest of this episode but let's get through it so for whatever reason they spend three hours in the camp talking and then in the last 10 minutes they're like shit we got to escape you have to stay behind but it's fine because he's fine there's a final client debrief with a reunited tommy and denise john is fine he's checked into a hospital 
Madeline makes a comment about how she wished she could escape her husband to Denise. And then um, Michael makes a little comment about how he knows Tommy's going to be fine because he has a mom who loves him like he did. He didn't say that like he did, but he like leaves and Madeline smiles a little bit. And she's like, oh, my son's a mama's boy. He's going to be fine. You sound a little bit like Kermit there. Um. So that's that's that scene. There, that was not earned at all. Like, no, it was not. It's like this episode's not about Madeline. No, it's not at all. She's just there, and they're like, "Well, shit, we better have something to do with her." Um, and it's oh, not about motherhood either, because it's about no. And it's not even about abusive stuff. men. It's about a no, dude. It's not. Who, it, like, because the the man wasn't abusive. He just sort of like lost it a little bit when his brother died, and like you know got radicalized but instead of doing the thing that most people do when they're radicalized and beat their wives he left her which frankly seems like a better solution all things considered (laughs) so that happened everyone's fine hooray so back at the loft sam and michael threw cards at a bucket waiting for jace's jace jacob's boss to finally call and tell him what to do uh and when he does jacob they're like all right cool jacob he called you you answer you can leave and he's like great me and mr pickles will leave and then michael has to take a pair of his clothing to impersonate him which is a fun twist if they had done anything with jacob's impersonation plot line but exactly. michael now impersonates the man impersonating him and goes imagine to the if there had been like a like a scene in which Michael has to learn to walk like Jacob and had to carry around his little dog. Yeah, I mean, he can't, but not like a real dog, so they don't want to endanger the dog. So, like a fake dog, they had to make a fake dog. Imagine if that was in this episode. Yeah, what if there was like a spy tip about how you know those like animatronic, animatronic like pets that like sit up and sit down and like make little bark sounds? What if they ha- there's yeah. a spy tip about like how to manipulate that so that it moves more natural or something? Like there's it a simple like, switchboard. They just go and- to like a KB Toys. Those still <laughs> exactly. existed in 2011, right? I mean, Toys R Us was still a thing back then. Yeah, I think they're they're dead now, right? Toys R Us is kaput. Yeah, Toys R Us is dead. Millennials are really truly destroying the American economy. They like euthanized that giraffe like it was an alpaca. <laughs> Horrifying. Anyways, so uh, the the like where Jacob has been instructed to go is to like a boat. But when Michael gets on the boat, he finds like a map and a note that's like, "All right, take the boat. Meet me at this location." And <laughs> Michael's like. That seems suspicious. So he like roots around the boat and he determines that there is a bomb in it that is hooked up to a depth finder so that like basically once it reaches a certain depth, it will explode and sink and no one will be the wiser. So Michael rigs it so that the boat will sort of like drive off without him. And um, he like takes some stuff off the bomb so that they can use it to identify the bomb maker, hopefully. And then as he and Sam have a final little comment, the boat blows up behind them as a final beat. End of burn notice episode. Yeah, I kept waiting for the the boat to blow up. Like they're really teasing the boat blowing up and like Well it has to be deep. I was really disappointed. I was really disappointed with the way the boat blew up. Like not necessarily with the explosion, but the way that it was edited. I was like really hoping that like the boat would interrupt them. Like, it would have been better if the boat interrupted them. And I was just, that was like a little thing that I was expecting to happen. That was a little moment of competence that the show did not have. Yeah. Yeah, this was a competent but ultimately soulless episode. So Yeah, uh, you're no, you, I, you <laughs> got me on board. This is not great. Mm-hmm. And it could have been. That's the thing. Like, there are some Bernadus episodes that it's like, all right, well, in order to do the thing they want to do with the plot, this is going to be a hard sell. To do this as a Bernadus episode, I can imagine that would have been a struggle. But this is an episode. It's a, like not even a mid, like it's like a just random middle of the season episode. They could have done a lot more with it. I'm just saying it was boring. So uh, spy tips. There are only four that I wrote down. There were only 10 total and they were mostly garbage. (laughs) So here are the four that I think even a little bit are useful. Okay, number one, as a spy, a lot of missions depend on keeping the world not knowing you were there. When an op involves saving someone's life and keeping your presence unknown, you have to make their escape look credible. So if the person you're saving is an untrained civilian, you need to make it look like they escaped like an untrained civilian, which I thought was like, okay, that's interesting. No, that makes sense. That's like, yeah. You have to, like, lead them off without making them think that anyone rescued them. But then if you're going to lead them off as them, you kind of have to cosplay. I thought that was useful. Okay, cool. Number two, you can tell a lot about a group from looking at their base. Their fortifications can tell you whether they're focused on offense or defense. And their vehicle type and number can tell you how mobile they are. The most important thing to check is their weapons. If they're carrying M16s on full auto, you're probably not dealing with amateurs camping in the woods. 
So this one's on the fence. <laughs> like, yeah, I did uh-oh. think that it was interesting to kind of consider their vehicles and uh, if their fortifications are more about offense or defense. Because, like, if it's more of a defensive place than, like, they ended up doing, instead of storming the compound, you need to draw them out. Because, you know, the, their for, their fortifications are for defense, which means that, like, you know... You don't want to let them get encamped. And then theoretically, if I could tell what kind of vehicles they had, I could look into them and make determinations on like, okay, so this is for like long drives versus this is for short term, like moving things from place to place. I don't know. I thought there was there was enough things in that tip that I'm like, I bet even I, a total rube, uh, could probably figure out something to do with this based on certainly the rest of the episode. I agree you're a total rube. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of. I also, here's the thing. This episode's already lost on spy tips. Yeah, So really I don't has. have incentive to care. It's like, so, fuck it. No, fuck that. No, it doesn't no. get it. Great, no, it doesn't fine. get it. All right, number number two, take two. Tricking an enemy into letting you inside their stronghold is a strategy as old as the ancient Greeks, but you don't always need to build a large wooden horse. With a modified special purpose insertion extraction harness, you can hitch a ride under a vehicle and go right through the front door. This is good. I like... Um, shopping tips. I like shopping tips. And I liked this plan. I like, I like it when people are strapped under cars. I don't know why. It's fun. It's very neat. It's, it's very fun. dangerous, especially because Fiona seemed to be like kind of hanging under it by quite a bit. Like the, yeah, there no, was a she... lot of slack on that line. There were. Yeah, it was fun. I liked it. Too bad it yeah, didn't no. work. V basically had nothing to do in this episode. No, she did not. So number three, the final tip of the episode that I thought was even worth talking about. For as long as armies have built fortifications, others have tried to get past them. Siege warfare can involve tunneling under, scaling over, or smashing through walls. Once you're inside, though, you're dealing with an entrenched enemy defending his home. That's why most successful sieges don't involve attacking at all, but tricking your enemy into coming out. Um... I just want to say as, like, an LGBT person that it's never okay to trick someone into coming out. (laughs) Um, Outing people is wrong. And, but this spy tip is good. Yeah, it's basic, but it's fine. Yeah, no, I, yeah. Cool. So it doesn't, there were not at least five practical spy tips. So even though we did take these three, they were not enough. So, all right. Next was the weekly case solved with spycraft over violence. I mean, yeah, I think so. Yeah. They weren't the violence doers. Michael mostly just like yelled at people. (laughs) Exactly. Again, there was a moment where there could have been more violence and there wasn't because they didn't rig the guns. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's true uh, yeah i was also surprised with that i kept waiting for it and then i'd look up and nope no shooting happening no nope. none whatsoever okay cool so it was spycraft technically uh was there a distinct or returning alias no no like michael pointedly is like no no alias in this one it's like you don't do aliases when there's families and see, there would have been still an opportunity for an alias, even keeping with that, had he had to, like, become Jacob, which would have been, again, so funny. So funny. Especially if it turns out that he doesn't have to. Like, he, he gets all of his mannerisms ready, but then he gets to the there's no one weird. there, and he's like, shit. <laughs> I remember early on, I assumed this episode was going to be about, a, like, someone posing as a militia guy. Because, like, that's such a burn notice thing. I thought it was weird right. that that didn't happen. Well, I was, uh, once we got, like, midway through and, like, Michael and Sam had already been burned, I was like, ooh, what if Fee has to be, like, a cool militia chick to, like, distract them all but be, like, so violent that they all freak out and stop being so violent? Yeah. Like, that's what uh, I yeah, thought no. Fee was going to do. But no, no, it's not no. none of that. So no alias. No. So in order for this, I don't think this can win, actually. Can it? Uh, does Fee blow anything up? Well, no, I'm, I'm, I like, even before we talk about this, can this episode get a great episode of Burn Notice with only one of the previous three things in um, the bag? I don't I know. Think, I think you have to get three out of four. And even if number four, or at least two supporting characters use well, passes, it's still only half and half. That's not enough. So we've yeah, already wow. determined this, but we might as, you know, we we are scientists after all. We must go through the, the steps. Uh, does Fee get to blow something up or get to be the protagonist? No. Michael blows no. something up to save Fee, but that's not the same thing. That's not the same thing. Sam, I would argue, is Peek Bruce Campbell in the little moment in the beginning where he's like, 
anything, Mike. Do you know what anything means? Like him doing this job as a as a way to get sexual favors yeah, no, from his yeah, girlfriend. That is always good. Yeah, that's um, always nice. I wish there was more of it. I wish he could be a little bit more lecherous in at least one additional it. scene. But, you know, this this episode was not interested in the details of anything. So, of course, that wasn't going to happen. Is Jesse a distinct addition rather, in a, that, rather than a redundancy? No, I have a theory. What's your theory? About this episode. This was a script from last season. Hmm. And that's why, like, they don't do anything about Jesse's job or anything. And why Jesse is, like, comforting the one girl in the other scene. Like, this was a script from last season that they couldn't get to quite work. They, and they still didn't they still didn't get it to quite work but like you know and so they're like well you we might as well do this now i can buy that because yeah i mean it definitely doesn't need to be in this se- like this is a burn notice episode that could be any time but it's also exactly. again just like the same setup as the lucy lawless episode with a less interesting payoff I mean, like, I wouldn't say it's the same setup as the lucy lawless episode it, a, it's a only- woman whose ex-husband has kidnapped their kid I mean, yeah, but that's, like, lots of things. It's just, it's a, like, I feel like that's, the premise of the Lucy Lawless episode is that, like, is evil spy type person. Like, I feel well, like. The, the the case of the week setup, at least. Yeah, I guess. But, like, I didn't, I never watched this episode and thought, oh, they're doing the Lucy Lawless thing again. I just thought, like, oh, it's a pretty standard, like, parent kidnaps a kid plot like that's like standard stuff right it just happens to be that was the lucy lala setup anyways it yeah, doesn't matter I, yeah jesse is not a distinct addition he's just a guy who's there because they needed an extra set of hands uh and then does madeline get in a, a genuine emotional moment with another character or get to do the case of the week with them nope nope she gets that little moment at the very end that's completely unearned because she has like one piece of commentary per scene she's in but mostly she's just sort of there and her house is used as a location to store the client of the week so this craigie my my friend my boy is not a great episode of burn notice yeah now in spite of that was it christine cherry a great episode of television no, I will say like I in, I had a better time with it than you did. I mean, because you've you convinced didn't have to me because <laughs> I didn't have to recap it. I think like you've definitely convinced me that like, like this it was is just like sloppy. garbage. It was it, like it feels it like an sloppy. afterthought. Like it feels like a like a like an outline that they were like shit. We're out of, like we need outline. an episode for this week. Uh, let's exactly. Just, let's just you know write out Craig's outline and we'll just go with it. Right. Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's like yeah, which is another thing that makes me think that like maybe this was a old script from last season where like it was the thing that they were developing that they never really got to work last season and then like a thing that they were going to do this season fell through and they're like well fuck let's just let's try that thing again yeah so this is the second episode of this season that has not been a great burn notice episode um the only other one so far was the michael horowitz script which we considered a great episode of television if not a great episode of burn notice but this is simply an episode of television nothing else about it it just existed it just existed and uh with that there really isn't anything left to say because truly nothing happens in this episode uh, other than to thank vincent el for our theme music you can find more about vince at vincentel.bandcamp.com and until next week bye i've got nothing just like the episode <laughs>